Father, we're asking for a birthing to go forth in the Spirit today, Father, for cities around the nation. Father, we're asking for a birthing of intercession to go on. Oh, Father, we want the cry, the cry to rise in a nation, to cry for revival, the cry for the, the, for the loss. Oh, Father, we're asking, Father, I'm asking today for the ancient gifts, uh, the ancient gifts, Father, those things that we need as the body of Christ have been lost. Those things, Father, that for years and years, those giftings, the multi the, just the, the multitude of gifts that you have for us, Father, that have been lost. Father, I'm asking for a restoration today. Father, we're asking for an incredible, mighty wind to blow. Holy Spirit, I ask you to blow across us today. That there be an incredible impartation today. An incredible lease from heaven. Father, I ask that you would open up your treasury in heaven today, Father. Open up the treasury, Father. Father... You have so much to give us. And Father, I ask you, open the treasury today and release, Father. Release that which we need today, Father. Father, you know my heart. I'm asking for the groanings. I'm asking for the, for the gifts. I'm asking that we can see what we could not see before and know what we could not know but by your Spirit. Uh, so today we're going to talk about uh, I don't want to give away what Ted's going to say, but or say what he's going to say. But we're going to talk some, you know, prophetic things, make some declarations, uh, see you get imparted with new vision. Uh, Ted, Ted is, he's a big picture guy, okay? So he's going to talk large picture. I'm not sure what I'm exactly it's going to come out of my mouth yet, but I'll probably share share more. Carrie and I have been more strategic intercessors. You've got to know there's a difference. There's network intercession, which I believe the Lord's going to start moving us to. Okay? Uh, even Carrie and myself, we believe it's going to be more of a network strategy. But up until this date, we this day, we've been more strategic intercessors. Uh, the Lord has spoke to me, he used to call me his Green Beret, or another time he called me the Special Forces. Right. Uh, you know, when you remember Afghanistan, the first thing we sent in Afghanistan was the Special Forces group. And a small group, highly trained, highly, you know, I like that, that picture. I mean, you know, we're just loaded to the hilt of armor and we've got weaponry and guns that no other military has, you know. And that's our Special Forces. I mean, they have stuff, guns and stuff, you know, GPS, whatever, gizmos that. No one else in the military uses. So that's what the Lord has used uh, the group of us in Elk River, the intercessors in Elk River. We don't have a network yet, okay? That We believe that's being birthed as I speak. But we have a group that are highly trained special forces that went out and blew up some bridges and took out some heavy artillery areas. And so maybe we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, that is necessary, but I think a greater calling on our country right now is the network, the, just the actual raise the river of intercession up. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what you probably talked about in Canada. So, <laughs> so anyway, so you're going to get some different flows and different veins, and, and some of the, and maybe we'll talk about you as a person, at, you know, challenging yourself. So I'm going to let Ted speak first, and... Uh, Hallelujah. So here is Ted Hawes. 
chief intercessor for Harvest Evangelism. I don't know. Great job. San, Ho San Jose. San Jose. Yes. Um, I'm going to introduce myself, but before I do that, I want to follow up on that because it's interesting he said about the spiritual forces. Um, you know, uh, when we went into Iraq, we essentially used only, you know, spiritual force, uh, special forces, and they went in and, and the way war is being done is totally being revolutionized. We had a small um, amount of troops, and they went in and they took down the head, and um, whatever problems we've had in Iraq since then, it was not the initial campaign. That was one of the best executed military plans in the history of war. They went in there and just, you know, just took down the country just like that with the minimum of loss and all that. But there's, it's interesting that, you know, the natural mirrors the spiritual. There is a revolution happening in warfare, and now the old, you know, the massive armies are being downsized, and it's the special forces that are being focused, and it's like the whole army is going to be special forces people, which is interesting, because when Ken was saying that, I'm sensing that that's what the Lord is doing um, with intercessors. Amen? So we're all special forces people, and we're called, and the Lord wants to raise up uh, an army, you know, and take the intercession to a whole nother level. And I believe that he is birthing something in intercession that I don't know, we have the term, we're, we're practitioners, so we want to make the reality of it. You know, we're not theoreticians that sit around in an ivory tower and think of good ideas. You know, we want to see nations transformed and we want to, you know, fulfill the Great Commission and then we, we describe what we did, you know, while we're doing it, you know, and afterwards. So I don't know if we have the best terms and whatever terms we use, you know, take them in that context, um, you know, we may learn better terms and use those. But what I understand is happening is it's really an apostolic move, and I believe the Lord is teaching us what it means to be apostolic intercessors, you know, not just prophetic intercessors, but apostolic intercessors. So that's what I want to talk about. But first, maybe I should introduce myself. Um, you know my name. It's Ted Haas. Uh, you know that I'm tall. Uh, the other two questions I get is... Uh, um, um, do you play basketball? And yes, I do. And how's the weather up there? So um, it's just about the same, only the air is a little thinner. So that's my excuse. Um, I'm married. Uh, my I, I've been with Harvest for uh, full time officially for nine years, but um, my church, my home church that you know I grew up in, was like I think the second church that ever took Ed on as missionary support. So I kind of know Ed from a distance since, you know, you know, his, as his girls were growing up, you know, from a little kid, I remember going out to, I didn't really know him, but we took him out for steak once, and my mother's been praying for him for, you know, all these years. She knows him longer than Dave Thompson knows him, so um, we have a long history back there, and when I was in college, um, I went down to Resistencia and was part of the basketball team that Ed mentions in, in his book there, and we went down there, and that impacted my life dramatically. I didn't understand it. I just loved it. It was, you know, got messed up, you know, and received an impartation, and we didn't believe in impartations. I didn't even know what it was. But I just knew I was, I loved it in Argentina, and, you know, it was incredible. And um, then, then I ended up working as a missionary over in Portugal, and that's where I met my wife, and now uh, 
were married. We've been married nine years. We got married and joined Harvest at the same time, so we don't know anything different. We've been like the frogs that were slowly boiled, you know, suddenly, you know, we're frog legs, you know, on the table and didn't even know anything happened. So, um, and we're the chief, inter the chief intercessors for the ministry, which is the fanciest way we could think of saying the guy who prays and makes sure everybody else prays. So, it's a chief intercessor. Uh, we have three lovely children. You'll notice our prayer card um, and a fourth one on the way. So you all got to pick up these prayer cards and pray for us. And um, we have our newsletter, too. Um, and you can get on our mailing list if you want it. Now, the newsletter is important because, again, the pictures of the kids on the back. So. Um, praise God. So, And the fourth is on the way. Congratulations. Yeah. Hallelujah. Sometime in June. All right, so that's who I am. Oh, also, we have, uh, I have some teaching series, a couple seminars. One is asking me how to pray effectively for transformation, a seminar I did back here a few years ago, 2001, and then um, Nation Transformation Unedited, where I talk uh, some about the uh, apostolic intercession and, you know, things like that, some of those principles there. So those are very, very useful and encourage you to buy them all and give them to all your friends and all that stuff. Okay, so what I want to talk about is what the Lord's doing in about the canopy of prayer and about intercession and kind of what I see happening. And, um, you know, in Hawaii they have a statement. They say they talk story. So they're just telling stories, but that's they're talking about principle. Amen? So I want to talk about Isaiah... Um, 61, 62, and 63, but I'm going to start out by kind of talking story, so you can go there to give yourself something to do, but um, we'll get there a little later. Um, as I mentioned briefly at the other location, it's a new day for the Bay Area. Amen? Yes. We have seen the spiritual climate change. There is a grassroots movement of prayer. Um, we, we're building a 24-7 house of prayer. Um, right now we're at 12-hour watches once a week. Hallelujah. We believe this is going to be a world-class prayer center. It's going to be known around the world, and the reputation of San Francisco is changing. Um, uh, th that prayer center is housed inside the largest film studio in California, which is owned by a Christian movie company, uh, this pastor, a friend of ours, a friend of Ed's, um, Richard Gazowski. And Ed describes Richard as the guy that makes him look like a retired CPA. So this, I mean, these, this is uh, an awesome church uh, there in the, he's been pastoring there in the city. I mean, these people are so radical. They have <laughs> prayer walked the entire city of San Francisco, I think like eight times. They, you know, once, I think it was two years ago, the Lord spoke to him about, marching around the walls of Jericho, and he and the Lord told him to march around the city of, of, of San Francisco mm -hmm. for 40 days while he's fasting. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, and he did it, the whole church. I mean, he didn't actually march the entire perimeter, but they, you know, they'd march parts, and then somebody marched for every day for 40 days. So this is how radical they are. So they've opened this Christian film studio. I mean, this is, this is already happening. This isn't just pie in the sky charismatic dreams. I mean, they have, the Lord has given them these patents on um, revolutionary technology in the film industry, and, um, and they've already raised $150 million 
dollars to work on their first film, and they're in pre-production, have done a little bit of the shooting, and this is going to be, I mean, their vision is to make films that are better than Hollywood, that present Christian values and the gospel unapologetically, you know, not just an underlying theme, but unapologetically, um, but in a way that, that, that is excellence. The Lord told him that it's not enough for you to make films, you have to make filmmakers, and I want you to be the best in the, in, in the industry, which, you know, because if you're Christian, you're going to go under twice as much scrutiny, you know. Um, but anyways, the Lord, is, the Lord is moving. There's a revolution coming in, in the marketplace all over. Hallelujah. Now Disney, you know, is making the Chronicles of Narnia. I mean, that, the, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is one of the best presentations of the gospel, you know, and of what Christ really does. I mean, that's, and they're making it. It's, it's awesome. Praise God. So in that studio, they're housing this house of prayer. So it's, it's the transformational house of prayer. It's about discipling the nation. It's about redeeming the marketplace. And it's already happening. There's a grassroots movement of prayer happening all over. I mean, just to, to share with you kind of what's going on, I had... Uh, like a couple weekends ago, I was ministering at one place in one, one of our counties because we have 15 county leaders that are working together. Um, and now we're helping each of those county leaders get team leaders in each of the cities. Some of them are further along than others, um, but, but they're identifying leaders in each of the cities. So I was at one meeting where they had, um, on their own initiative, they had already mapped out the entire county. They knew every city that was in the county. They had put together a mapping report, and they had these notebooks, and they were praying in the, 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 count, the city leaders from each of the cities. So we were there just having this wonderful, incredible prayer time. I go from that to the house of prayer where I show up at like midnight, and there's like it's filled with people praying in San Francisco. They're just and people I didn't know. I mean, so that's good, because, you know, you, 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 you've been around for a few years, you think, you know, everyone is praying, you know. Then I end up coming home, and I find out that there was another church that was having all-night prayer in San Francisco, and there was another, there's like two other all-night prayer meetings that were going on, all of this in one weekend, and it's nothing, I mean, I, I had helped, sort of helped initiate one of the meetings. You know, that's all. It's just something that's happening. It's a grassroots movement of prayer. And it happened when we um, raised the canopy of prayer um, and through the process of that. But the origin of that. Okay, we, this year was our 25th anniversary. And um, I've been with Harvest for nine years. And it's, we've traveled to Argentina. I mean, when I first went to Argentina, and um, how many of you have been to Argentina? Okay, how many of you have not been to Argentina? Okay, everyone that raised their hands, you need to come to, with us to Argentina. Both times, everyone. Both groups, you need to come to Argentina. Amen. Anyways, um, it, it is so incredible what the Lord's doing down there. So um, we need you to come back. And I don't have time to tell you prophetically of what's happening there, but I believe what we're seeing happen in Argentina has been prophesied in types and shadows in the scripture and we're literally seeing the fulfillment of the end time revival that was prophesied you know where Paul said at this time the Jews are rejecting the gospel you know and it's life to the dead for the for the it, it's it's a blessing to the Gentiles but a time will come when you will receive the gospel and that will be like life back from the dead and that is what's happening in Argentina but I don't have time to uh, share with you all the details of why I believe that that's a different session so, anyways, 
All that to say, come with us to Argentina. So anyways, when I went there and went to, the first time I went to Olmo's prison, and just, you know, God is in this place. How else can you have a entire prison being transformed and just miracles all over? And it, it, it's unbelievable. Uh, and the cry of my heart at that time, you know, I was too naive to think to just compartmentalize that in a third world compartment and say, okay, that happens there, but we shouldn't expect it here. I was not... Uh, theologically sophisticated enough to build those, you know, systems that justify that. And my, the cry and the prayer of my heart was, God, if you can do it there, do it here. Mm-hmm. Our nation has as many needs as that nation. Yes. My generation has as many needs as if you've done it then, do it now. Yeah. And that's been the cry of my heart. And that's been the cry of us as a ministry. As we travel all over the world and we come back to the Bay Area, it was this pain of saying, God, when are you going to do it here? Mm-hmm. And as I was seeking, um, it turns out that it's us that who, who needed to change, not them so much. You know, That's a principle. It's not what they do. It's what you do. But I, went, I was especially inspired by Hawaii. Because Hawaii is a very liberal state, right? You know, they didn't they pass gay marriage? Didn't they pass, you know, partial birth abortion? Some I, I know, I'm getting to that point. I know the Hawaiians are getting very angry at me. So I went over there and I said, you know, there's all these spiritual connections if it can happen in Hawaii. So I went over there and I spoke to Francis. I asked, I cornered Francis Oda and I was just encouraging him and saying, I believe something's going to happen in the Bay Area. And tell me, how did you do it, do it here? Isn't Hawaii a very liberal state? And he said, no, Hawaii's not liberal. The Hawaiian people have very strongly held, you know, deep conservative convictions. There's a minority who've hijacked the political process, and we didn't pass gay marriage. They almost did, but they didn't, you know, and he said we defeated all those. And, you know, that was part of the process, that trip there. I just felt the Lord slapping me and saying, what are you thinking about the Bay Area? Say, they are not liberal. Stop saying that. They are deeply, they're, they're people who have deeply held conservative values. That, and, and even despite this election where in California we voted to, we, we refused to even say that you have to tell a, a child's parents before they get an abortion, you know. Even that, I still believe that there are people, there's a remnant, and the remnant is larger than the minority that have hijacked the political system. But the problem is, is that is the remnant feel unempowered and their voice is quiet and it's silent. And we've got to wake them up. So anyways, well, that was the first way the Lord slapped me, you know, and said, how are you thinking and what are you saying about the Bay Area? Change your mind, you know, and, and, and repent. So then... In that trip in Hawaii, the Lord spoke to me so powerfully, just renewing my mind about intercession. Because, you know, being the chief intercessor and all that, you know, we're supposed to know about this stuff. But (laughs) sometimes the Lord has to reteach you what you're already supposed to know, you know. And to be honest, sometimes I was in that phase where sometimes intercessors are frustrating because they're weird, you know. We are weird. (laughs) But um, I repented of all that, okay? And um, there was this one lady, Janine Seinbold. Remember her, Joyce? And she, sometimes people would deliver a prophetic message, and that's good. Sometimes the person is the prophetic message, and that's really good. <laughs> so this is Todd Bells, one of his chief intercessors, and we've known her for a long time. Just a sweet, sweet, sweet lady, and so humble. 
we were talking about some of the things the Lord was doing and, and with the native people, and we were planning this trip to go to um, Maui right after the conference there. And we were talking about what the Lord was doing, and I was sharing with Joyce about, you know, what I felt was happening. And Janine is just kind of sitting over there overhearing it. And then it's like, you know, intercessors, they get the burden and they get the burden. You know, you're pregnant, the baby's coming out no matter what, you know. And, just, she, and, and, and the Holy Spirit dropped the burden on her. And, and it's like, I just kind of watched that out of the corner of my eye. And here she is just sitting there, just in tears, just weeping, just so humble. She comes up to me so humble, you know, and she said, go to Maui with you? And, okay, when we organize massive conferences, I mean, you always have, you know, one person in the mix, just the Lord wants to keep you humble, who is just a pain in the neck, you know? <laughs> it's just like, my hotel room isn't good enough, you know, can you switch? You know, demanding all this special treatment, and it, it's like, it, it's so much, just caring for that person would be easy, but trying to run a conference and take care of all these is a pain in the neck. So we, you know, we get you have to guard against that. But this was totally the opposite. She was so humble. So I just, I gave her nothing. I said, I don't know. I don't think you can. And if you do, we can't, I can't make, and nobody on our team can make any of the arrangements. You'd have to do it all yourself. And I don't even know if we can have you over there. Okay. But I'll ask. That's all I said. It's just, oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> just, she should be calling Ed, you know, and telling him to fire me, you know. And she's saying, thank you. So I talked to Joyce. And Joyce said, you know, and I just said, and we prayed, and, and we felt, and I think we were able to give her, we said, okay, you can, we will give you a ride from the, the airport to the place where we're going. We don't know if we can give you a ride back, you know, you may have to get it, but that's, how, that's all we promised her. She's, oh, thank you, thank you. So she goes, she was leaving at 10 o'clock that night, and we were leaving at like 1. So she went to all this effort to get get her own, to make her flight arrangements, you know, to pay the extra to get over there, we actually did end up, you know, taking care of her and giving her a ride there and back, okay, that was able, I just didn't promise that, you know, she took all the burden on herself, and I'm sitting there just, just watching it, you know, just watching it, seeing what happened, and the, I, I know, the Lord told me, she is going to do whatever he, she can. Nothing is going to stop her, unless you say no, because she, she won't do it if you say no. But she's going to do whatever she can, if only to stay a few hours, and she can't even get out of the airport in Maui, because she, just to drop her tears on the ground in Maui. Mm. I, and, and, and it was, that ministered to me so much. And I put it, I, I had, at the time, I was kind of, you know, frustrated, you know, Argentina, Hawaii, these events, I see them as the house where Jesus is. So we're very passionate and fervent about getting people down there, you know, to these events. I mean, you know, if you have to rip a hole in the ceiling, you rip a hole in the ceiling, you know. And poor guy who owned the house, somebody had to fix it later. But, you know, uh, well, anyways, I was putting this intercessor who would do anything to go to Maui with such humility, just because she had to pray on Maui. She had to, you know, to, uh, I won't mention any, you know, a, a, it could be anybody, a certain pastor I was trying to get down there, and just, you know, it's like we had opened up the door and done everything, and it was, you know, all he had to do was say yes, and he just didn't have faith. And then, hmm. and so, 
through that, the Lord began to speak to me, and, and I knew that he said, intercession is going to have to take the lead in the Bay Area. Because the pastors aren't coming together because there's, you know, there's too much opposition. Until the intercessors come together, they're not going to be able to come together. Now, I had preached that before, but I hadn't really understood it. Until he showed me, you know, an intercessor. It's just like so picture, this lady, she, Janine, she was the prophetic message. And I felt the Lord saying, you need to tell those intercessors who they are. And lay an apostolic foundation and tell them now's the time and tell them to go for it and tell them to stop waiting. Because the intercessors and myself have been waiting. And we've been making what amounts to excuses, saying, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a marketplace leader, and we're waiting for the pastors. I mean, it seems like the biggest thing is, okay, you know, when will the pastors come together? And we're praying fervently for the pastors to unite. Praise God for that. But what do you do when they don't unite? We get despairing, and we go back home, and we wait, and we wait, and we're waiting. And we've got to separate and start, and, and, and that's why we're talking about the different tracks, because before, the kind of image we had thought is that there's one track, and the pastors are the, are the engine, and then there's all these different things on them. Well, the problem is, is what if that engine stalled? The whole train is stalled, and that's where we had been in so many different places. So I came back with this impartation, understanding, it's like I just, I saw things. It says, you've been holding back. You can't blame anybody else. Blame yourself. Now you change. So we came back and we just called up a group of our intercessory friends, the leader of Aglow, of Lydia, a few other networks, um, and uh, invited them together. There's, you know, maybe 10 of us, um, and just put this, this challenge before them. And I said, we all, you know, we're, we're leaders. We have a, a sphere of influence, you know. And I said, we believe that it is a new day for the Bay Area. And we presented the whole vision of raising a canopy of prayer, and let's go for it. But then I just challenged him, well, we, we've got to see an apostolic foundation, because it's the apostles who are the, the, the foundation of the church, not mm -hmm. the pastors. It's the apostles. Mm -hmm. We've got to pray it into being. Mm -hmm. But there's two sides to that. And I think we've been praying for the apostles to come, and it's almost like this, you know, let the Messiah run in on a white horse and save us all. <laughs> That's part of it. We've got to pray for the person of the apostle to manifest, but there's another side of it, which is we have to start functioning apostolically. Yeah. We've got to change the way we're doing. The apostolic church is a church that functions differently. Mm -hmm. And we've got to change the way we're doing it. Yeah. And when we change the way we're doing it, everything else will fall in place. Mm -hmm. And so I said, it's not the issue of, I don't, you know, it's not the issue of title. It's the issue of function. It's the reality, not the position, you know. Um, but... Will we commit to model internally everything we want to see happen externally in the body of Christ, in leadership in the body of Christ in the Bay Area? Can we commit to stop complaining and saying we're going to change it and we're going to take responsibility to change it? And the presence of the Lord was there and we agreed together. Within oh, two weeks, we had nine counties covered. That's, the, the, that's, what's, that's what they would call the Bay Area. Now it's grown beyond the Bay Area. It's the entire region. It's 15 counties. Mm -hmm. It came together. And I tell you, and now they've initiated, and they're the driving force, and now we're seeing tremendous things happen with the youth. You know, The youth track is coming together in just a powerful, powerful way. Mm -hmm. We're seeing the marketplace come together. We're seeing different cities that are 
that are bubbling up that could be the Elk River of the Bay Area, you know, a detonator region. Uh, in Salinas, the mayor, who's a Catholic uh, woman, and nine, uh, eight others of the top marketplace leaders of the city have been praying together, you know, every other week, you know. And when she, when, when this la lady, she was, you know, kind of in a, uh, a typical kind of politically correct, you know, pol uh, situation about her faith, very private about her faith. But when she heard the lieutenant governor of Hawaii and, and, the, um, and your mayor here, Stephanie, man, it just, it, she said, they talked so openly about their faith and didn't ask for anything. And she got an impartation. It just set her on fire. She is here. And now they are convening, this group is convening all the pastors from the region, putting together a mayor's prayer breakfast. She's inviting Ed Savosa down to speak to him, and they're going to challenge him and say, let's go for the city, you know. So praise God, something is happening, and it's all happening. But the change came when the intercessors woke up and that's what I feel my job is, is to tell the intercessors who they are. But this gives me so much hope. Because the whole area, there was no movement. And the Lord first, he spoke to us, and he said, began to say that it's a new day for the Bay Area. Amen. And we had to proclaim it when there was no evidence. And one of the biggest things that was challenging, I mean, it wasn't just proclaiming it, it was actually believing it deep within my heart. And one of the biggest things that would made me hesitant is we'd said that before for so long. <laughs> what happens? You know, you've been saying it's a new day for the Bay Area for 10 years. And it's just like, you know, what do we do? We feel, you know, oh, we've been so, you know, how, what makes this different than every other time? And I felt the Lord said, just get over it. Go for it. Go for it. It is a new day. And the shift was deep inside, truly believing it and proclaiming it. And then we begin to move, and it came together, and there's this whole grassroots movement of prayer, and we raised a canopy of prayer. Um, so I want to show this all to you in the scriptures so that you know you have the testimony of, of the experience. Um, but along with the scriptures, and, and I told you how one of the intercessors said that the Jews get married underneath a hoopah. And... Um, the hoop is a canopy, and it symbolizes the covering of God. And then I began to realize that the whole imagery of a canopy of prayer, you know, symbolizing God's blessing and his covering over an area, that imagery isn't new, folks. That is throughout the scriptures. What's that famous psalm, 91, he who dwells in the shadow? The word shadow there, I mean, I heard a message on this in, um, in college at the Master's Seminary, which is, you know, a very word-conservative seminary. And the pastor was preaching about the umbrella of God, which is his covering. Yes. This image of a canopy and a covering of God that comes over reach, that's throughout Scripture. We didn't invent that. That's old. Um, and it's tied here to marrying the land. When we marry the land, the canopy comes on. But look in Isaiah 61. And the whole, I mean, the whole theme of the, you know, you can even go further. And it's talking about the redemption and the restoration and the restoration. And 61 is the famous messianic um, um, prophecy. That's the, first, that's the sermon, Jesus' first uh, text for his very first sermon in Capernaum, where they, you know, he had such wonderful results they wanted to kill him. 
You know, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So what does the Messiah do? He transforms us. Right? You know, we use that. We talk about transformation. We talk about lives being changed and all that, you know. But that's where we stop. And so we have a theology that, that, that believes for individual salvation. And now, like Ed is saying, change the paradigm. He came to seek and to save all that was lost. The same blood that died for individuals to transform them is the exact same blood that died to, to redeem nations and to redeem cities. Okay, so he goes on. It's all there in the scriptures. Verse 4, um, Isaiah 4, uh, 61, 4, which is one of my favorite verses. It says, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. Can you say they? they. Who are the they? Us. Us. You can't put this into some future when Jesus comes back. It doesn't say, on the first visit, he saves the individuals. When he comes back the second time, no, I mean... It's all following there. They're the ones who get transformed. When do we, do we get transformed? Now, right? How many, who's been delivered from sin, right? Who is in bondage and is no longer? It's for now, right? We don't get saved and wait to be holy. You know, you start living in now. Now, obviously, you're waiting for something greater to come. But they will rebuild the ancient ruins. Folks, this is for here. What are the ancient ruins? They will restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities. Can you say cities? Cities. cities. Is that singular or plural? plural? Yes, that's why they put the S on the end. That have been <laughs> devastated for generations. When God initiated Israel, it was never just about Israel. They were called to be priests to the nations. You will be a blessing to many nations. You know, it goes, it, it goes back to that. That's so important for you to understand that when he gets to 62, for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, intercession. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet. That's 62 verse 1. Till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. He's presenting Jerusalem there as a prototype of all the cities that will be redeemed. I mean, you've heard Ed speak, right? In Revelations, when we get a picture of what happens at the end, you have the New Jerusalem, which is this incredible city whose gates are open 24-7 because they're, uh, whenever it's daylight and it's never night, the gates are open. Why are they open? Because the kings of this earth and the nations are bringing in whose glory? No, their glory. They're, they're showing their glory, and they're coming in and out. And, and we know this as nations that are entirely redeemed, and they're showing the glory that he created them to walk in in the first place. It's the restoration of all things. So what I'm saying is to build a biblical basis that he is presenting Jerusalem as a prototype that we are in total um, uh, you know, legitimacy to say, San Francisco Bay Area, to say Elk River, to say Minneapolis, St. Paul, right there. God created your city. He created my city. He has a vision for it. He has a plan for it. He has a promise for it. It's interesting to, to, to look at the historical context, and this encourages me. Jerusalem was not a beautiful city at the time. They were in a whole bunch of iniquity. Wasn't this right around Ahab's time? 
right around there when they were involved in, in idolatry, horrible forms of Baal worship, where there was emphasized throughout the, 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 the place they would, you know, go um, worship Molech by sacrificing their children on the altar of Molech. So, you know, this whole, oh, Jerusalem, such a wonderful city, is not the context in which this was prophesied. That encourages me, okay? Because we're prophesying over an area where we see something by the Spirit that is contradictory to what you see with your natural eyes. That's right. That's right. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you, O San Francisco Bay Area, deserted, or name your land desolate. Folks, that's what the world's saying. That's what the prophets are saying. You know, I mean, I, I've been there nine years, and every year, I guess, you know, some prophet sends this prophecy about how they had a vision that God's going to, you know, throw San Francisco into the sea, you know, and how God's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah if he doesn't wipe San Francisco off the face of the earth. And my, you know, um, I honor the prophets, and, and, and I don't believe all of that is just, yeah, I don't think we should be casual about it, but Jesus, he wiped his son off the face of the earth for what we're doing, you know? God's not angry anymore. He satisfied it on the cross. It's a revelation of the cross. They call us deserted. They don't think God is here. I know pastors who moved out of the city because God isn't in the city, and they're just waiting for you know it to burn. You know, I mean, Jonah did that. Um, but you will be called Hephzibah and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married as a young man marries a maiden. So will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. Folks, when we get married, we don't have a clue. If they had fine print in the whole dating thing, you know, and you had full disclosure, no one would be married, you know, there'd be no kids, you know. We don't have a clue. But... We know that God is with us, and it takes three to make a marriage work, right? And we've got God with us, and we face, and that's part of the challenge, it's part of the excitement, and he comes through every time, and it's all for good, right? Mm. And when do you get married? You get married after the ceremony, and they're ignorant enough to, you know, <laughs> give you the license and let you together, you know? And it's like, wow, you know? It's all by grace. It's not by works. You don't have to live together for seven years. I mean, that's the, that's the common law way. You know, that's another way to get to it. But you just, you know, and you got it. And you've got the full grace and she's yours. That's what he's saying here. By grace, we can marry the land. And when we marry the land, folks, in the courtroom of heaven, in the legal documents of heaven, it's registered and she's ours. Every other suitor is illegitimate. They have to, now, she's ours to lose if we neglect her, you know. But suddenly, we're in the position of strength, and the enemy has got to go through the law. He's got to go through us. You know, everything is against him, and God has legitimacy to cover it and to back up what we're doing. Amen? Amen. Every other suitor, you know, then they got to go undercover. You know, she's not up for grabs anymore. We do that. God releases this grace. 
And it's so important to understand that this is by grace because my mentality before is that the canopy of prayer probably is when we've got 24-7 prayer. But even when you've got 24-7 prayer, you know, I was thinking, is it geographical? Do we, do we have a canopy of prayer when we've got everyone in every city? Well, that's not enough. We've got to get every block in every city. We've got to get every congregation. When is it enough? When have you got it? You know, um, when we've got 24-7, is that enough? Does it have to be in one central location or is spread out enough? Do you have to document it? Can it be more than one movement? You see, and all that is... We're constantly running up, and that's the place where so many of us have been. And we watch the Transformations video, and we say, they've got it. Wow, I wish we could have that. But then we're discouraged because the level of faith that those people are walking in. We're like, you know, we try it, and, you know, we get burned out after a week. You know, we can be spiritual for that long. And then it's like, no, change your mind. It is by grace. It's by grace. And once you've got her, you've got her. And it's by birth. We're, you know, all of creation is longing for the manifestation of the sons of God. And I believe, you know, I'm not knocking these days of prayer we've had. Those are important, you know. I mean, and it's the timing of the Lord. But now is the time for us to take the next step. We were dating. <coughs> now let's get married. And I feel, you know, we've been, we, we've had these wonderful dates. We've flirted with it. You know, it's been wonderful. There's this chemistry. We like her. She likes us. We're seeing answers to prayer. Then we go home and she's anxiously awaiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. What's that saying? The girl is waiting for the guy to grow up and get over his issues because she wants to get married. But she's waiting by the phone and we don't call her back. One day, two days, a week, two weeks, a month. Finally, a year later, we ask her out for another date. Okay, you know, we go through it all again. But man, you know, how long is this guy going to play around? When is he going to grow up, get over his issues and marry me? Creation is longing. They are just, our cities are just dying for us to make this commitment and marry her. And when we vouch, it's our commitment that has authority, and that gives God legitimacy. And his canopy comes down, and it covers the region. And then, I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourself no rest. He establishes it. He raises them up. And when you see him come out of the woodworks all over, amen? Amen. What time is it? Okay. So, so far, so good? Um, uh, do you want to keep reading? Okay. Oh, boy. All right. So, the rest of 62 is good, you know, it's the promises and all that. Now, this is where intercession really hits in. Verse 63. Who is this coming from Eden, from Basra, with his garments stained in crimson? Who is this, robed in splendor, striding forth in the greatness of his strength? It is I speaking, I'm reading in 63, okay? It is I speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. Why are your garments red like those of one treading the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations, no one was with me. I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood splattered my garments, and I stained all my clothing. For the day of vengeance was in my heart, and the year of my redemption has come. I looked, but there was no one to help me. I was appalled that no one gave support. So my own arm worked salvation for me, and my own wrath sustained me. I trampled the nations in my anger. All right, I believe the Lord wants to really impart something here. 
So let's pray for a moment. Father, in the name of Jesus, we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Father God, we pray to you. We ask you to send the Holy Spirit. And I pray for an impartation Mm -hmm. that will remove the clouds Mm -hmm. of darkness that have been around our eyes, Father. Lord, for us to understand, Mm -hmm. for us to disciple the nations, we have to waken Mm -hmm. up to who we are, Father. And this is not something man can do. But I pray for every person in here Mm -hmm. that you will tear down, Lord, remove the cloud around the vision, Lord, that they will see who they really are, Lord Mm -hmm. God. Father, Lord, you told Moses that no one can look at my glory and live. But now you're saying, Father, you're saying that that's the same glory I've put in you. Father, reveal the sons of God. Lord, we have to see it inside. Lord, this has to be obtained by the Spirit, Father. Lord, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. All right, this is intercession. How does this fit in in what the Lord is talking about? Folks, if we understand what he's talking about here and receive the impartation, I tell you, revival has come. That's right. What I mean, what we're searching for has come. It will be birthed in the Spirit. This was actually, it was this passage the Lord opened all this rest to me because I was sitting in a meeting. We were talking about canopy of prayer, and it wasn't going the way... I wanted it to, you know, they weren't, they weren't getting it. It's like, man, there's still a darkness over their eyes. And some of the people that I thought, these are the leaders that are really with me. And, you know, the meeting just was kind of dead, and I was like, you know, how are we going to, you know, it's like, is this really happening? I was sitting, I was doubting, this was, you know, maybe two months before. And we, you know, there's no registrations. I mean, we, we committed to this boat, and we had to commit to the whole, it's like all or nothing, we had to commit to the whole thing, you know. 600 people at 50 bucks a pot, and we did not, we didn't have margin, you know. It wasn't, we had to rent the boat, and we were trying to keep the price as low as possible. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> this could be devastating, you know. Mm-hmm. And no one's showing up, and they're not getting it. They don't see it. And then I began to read this, and I tell you. See, this is, Jesus was in the same place. When he under, this is understanding intercession. And he was all alone. He looked around. There was no one else to go to the cross. He was passionate. He was appalled at the state of things. So, and, he, and there was no one around. And he says, my own hand work salvation and my anger sustain me. And folks, we have got to receive an impartation. This is the authority. This is the secret hidden place yeah. of intercession. Mm-hmm. This is when you're all alone. Mm-hmm. This is when Ed Savoso lets you down. This is when the people that are supposed to be there don't get it. Yeah. And it's a place. It's between you and the Lord. This is what yeah. can't be faked. Yeah. This is this, is, this doesn't happen in corporate meetings. I mean, it does happen sometime in corporate meetings. But I want to tell you something. Even Jesus was never totally alone. Even Jesus had Mary Magdalene, the intercessor. Even him, in his darkest, darkest hour, the Lord had someone to minister to him. So even you, the Lord, there's always going to be something, you know. He's never going to leave you, you know. But it's understanding this is not... 
this isn't talked about, this is attained in the spirit, it's something that's attained in the spirit that nobody sees and someone may never see, someone else may get the credit. One thing we're, we're imparting to our intercessors, to our leaders, that, that, that the, price of, of the, the price of walking in apostolic authority is you have to be totally willing to do all the work and let someone else get all the credit, and that's not an issue with you. And you have to be totally willing. I mean, we, have to, we tell them, there's nobody else in your county, and we've got to raise the camp via prayer, but we don't know if the mantle's upon you, but you need to step in there for now, and probably someone else is going to come alongside. You're going to do all the work, lay the foundation, and they're going to get all the credit. Are you okay with that? That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, you know, they normally say, yeah, yeah, of course I'm okay. Well, they haven't really gotten it. Then you push a little further, and they say, well, it's going to be difficult, and I'll probably get ticked at you. Okay. Now are you okay? Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll forgive you. Okay, now you've got it, okay? That's, this is, and he was all alone. But what? He found something inside of him, and what was it? His anger. And I began to think, and I began to get myself angry. I said, I'm going to go down fighting. You know, what are you willing to do and sacrifice yourself that even if you fail miserably, you'll still do it because you can't live the rest of your life saying, I didn't try. I would rather try and fail than not have tried at all. When you understand that, when you find what you're passionate about, you know you're indestructible. And that's what we've got to lay hold of. So this brings us to Exodus 32. And I'm going to share with you a word that was very, very rimmel word for the intercessors recently and in the Bay Area. And, you know, if it applies here, great. If not, great. But there's principles here. Um, you know, I said that we regularly in the Bay Area, you know, it's like an annual cycle. You get the leave the Bay Area, you know, because it's all going into the sea. Um, and anyways, Right after Katrina, and the timing of this is not, I don't believe anything's coincidence, you know, and we have, a, what happened in Katrina gives us this huge, huge, huge opportunity, and I'm so encouraged to see the way the church is responding and rising up to the opportunity. Um, but right after that happened, I mean, San Francisco was shaking in its boots, and you didn't have to be a prophetic intercessor to shake in your boots, okay? You know, the whole city council, I mean, the secular people know that we are not prepared for a disaster, and it may not be a tornado, but an earthquake can happen. You don't have to be God-fearing or a prophet to know, you know, to, to have the fear of God on you, you know? And it was, and it was, it happened two weeks, right, right about two weeks after we anchored the canopy of prayer, and when we anchored the canopy of prayer, our brothers um, from Uganda, Jackson Sinyanga and Julius Oyet, I mean, just they shared what intercession really is, you know. And, and, and Jackson Sinyanga, how many of you know who he is and have heard him preach? This guy's great. Um, oh, he's one of the leaders of the revival in Uganda, and he gave this message on intercession and basically said, you in the West, you know, he's really funny, so he got away with lots of stuff that no one else could. <laughs> He says, you guys are such wimps, you know, when you pray. You know, and he says, you're chickens, you know. You go kick the devil on one day, you know. And the National Day, of, he was preaching it. Um, he said this. I'm just quoting what he said. On the <laughs> I'm not saying this. 
he was speaking at the National Day of Prayer someplace, and he was so encouraged. He says, look at all these pastors united. This place is packed. You know, he was the keynote speaker, and he was talking to them. He said, this is wonderful. How often do you guys do this? And they're all encouraged. We do this every year. And he, was, he said, I was offended. What? He didn't know. When? How often? Every year. Every year. He says, you guys are chickens. And he's got this stick accent. So no one understood what he's saying. Chickens, you know, chickens, chickens. You know, chickens. Bark, bark, bark. So you will kick the devil one day, you know, and then you run away. He's not scared of you. He says, oh, don't worry about him. Whatever they do that day is fine, you know. We've got 364 days that we control. You know, and it's the whole point of the canopy of prayer. Are we going to change, and are we going to translate it? And I don't think it's, uh, 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 it's not, we don't have to do that every single day. It's the commitment of changing our paradigm. So anyways, he was saying that, but then he said, revival comes one of two ways, either through desperation or devastation. And in Uganda, we got our revival through devastation, and I do not recommend it. That's right. And I tell you, the fear of the Lord fell on this place. And then they, they said, you know, you have to be desperate in your prayer. Yes. And then at the end of the meeting, they, they, I mean, he, he ended it, and then he, you know, we said, go for it. And he just began to pray. And they began to pray, just opened up the altar, and began to cry out desperately. And, I mean, I, I just ran to the front, and the, the altar was filled, and they were leading us in this prayer. I mean, that. People were just crying out. I mean, suddenly, when you understand the Spirit of the Lord and you really have sign of what the Lord is doing, your theology is not so important. And they were, people were crying out in tongues and bawling, just yelling at the top of their, their voice, and just crying and crying. And it went way past the comfort zone level. And they just kept going and 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 kept going. And I have never been in a meeting. I mean, I have never been in such an intense season of prayer. I didn't. I mean, it just went on and on, just crying and crying and crying and just, you know, it's like I'm going to scream until there's no more voice. You know, everything that is in within me. Are we going to get desperate? It was powerful. When we anchored the canopy of prayer, everybody knew something had changed, and we had anchored it. And then two weeks later, Katrina happens. Mm. And so it's like the fear of the Lord is upon everyone, you know? I'm saying. And then we got a s slew of prophetic words saying, watch out, San Francisco's next. <coughs> and these were, it was different. It was different, you know? And, and to me, the test is okay, are you going to fly to San Francisco, you know, get a, buy a plot right on the coast and live there? And then say that, you know. But we knew that the Lord was speaking, and I really felt that this was not flakiness, but we needed to take it very seriously. Um, but I said, and we cried out. But then at the same time, the worst thing is to get fearful. Right. So anyways, I mean, certainly we qualify, you know. If you believe in God, divine intervention, whatever New Orleans qualified for, we qualify for worse, you know. Um, but in that context, you know, it's like, okay, Lord, can we avert it or not? You know, what do we, we're trying to discern what the Lord's saying, and, 
And um, and I thought, Lord, what do I need to leave this area? You know, what am I supposed? I mean, what are we supposed to do? And you know, out of that context came the whole Mary the land, you know. And I just felt something rising up within me and saying, there's a canopy of prayer and something's different. Something's different. And so how do I share this with the intercessors? And that's when the Lord gave me Exodus 32. So I'm going to share this word that I released to the intercessors. And um, because I felt that we were trying to, we were functioning at a low level, you know, we're trying to discern what is the Lord saying. It's like if I listen just a little clearer, I'll hear. Now, can, does this word that he's saying about judgment, is there a time frame for it? You know, is it just in part? Is it something small or is it big? Is it is it conditional or what? And it's like, and it's and we were at this plane, and I felt the Lord saying, "You've got to rise up to a higher plane." And so here, Isaiah 32. This is where I mean, you you're probably all familiar with this. This is where you know you got Moses leading the people of Israel, and then Moses goes up and gets the Ten Commandments. And Exodus 32, verse 9, um, God comes to Moses and says, this is when Moses on the mountain. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought favor of the Lord his God. O Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against these people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them all? And he goes on and on and he argues with God. And he says, remember your promises. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and, and Israel to whom you swore to yourself descendants. And to their descendants, you know, and their promises. Then in verse 14 it says, Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. So here you have Moses up on the mountain. You have the people of Israel down below going and just, they, they go into this demonic orgy and they're just out of control. They're just, just, just out of control. And so God is just so ticked off. And he's upset, but he comes and talks to Moses and he says, Moses, I'm going to destroy them. He gives him a direct prophetic word, and he gives him a promise. He says, I'm going to destroy them, get out of my way, and I'm going to make a people out of you. Moses, I mean, he was the archetype of a prophet. He heard clearly. You know, he didn't just hear. He saw and spoke to God face to face. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting that Moses has a, has a clear prophetic word and a promise and a command. Get out of the way. And what does Moses do? The exact opposite. He's in direct disobedience of what the God just told him to do. And he argues with God. And, you know, the whole point is that Moses understood the character of God is, and knew God and was at a place that was invited into the council of God. Okay? And that the apostolic and intercession... See, people think that the prophetic is a graduation of intercession, you know? And so if you're a prophet, well, now you're a prophet. And if you're not quite a prophet, well, you're just an intercessor, you know? That's upside down. No, the intercession is the highest call in the body of Christ. Clearly here, he submits prophetic to intercession. And he stands in the gap. And he had a revelation of Christ. And he was like Christ. Okay. But now, what's interesting is Moses was up on the mountain when he did it. He didn't see what Israel was doing. So he did the right thing naively. He didn't have the full facts. So he did what he was supposed to do, but he didn't really see it. He didn't know until he goes down the mountain. Then when he goes down the mountain, and look what happens. 
he approaches the camp and he sees them dancing around and he sees the calf and that's when he gets angry. And, um, and he calls the people around him. Okay, verse uh, uh, 32, verse uh, 26. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. And he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. Mm -hmm. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about three thousand of the people died. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you are against your own sons and brothers, and he, and he has blessed you this day. Now, okay, that always seemed a little cruel to me. A little harsh. But see, Moses was up there, and he saw the glory of the Lord, and he knew it was real. He knew that when God said, I'm going to destroy him, God's not joking. And nobody else understood that. But he did the right thing naively. Then he comes down and is like, oh, my. And see, the requirement for Moses to have that authority with God is that he was going to represent God. And the unspeaking, unspoken agreement between the two of them was, I won't go down there, but you have to go in my place. And then when Moses saw what God saw, he had the same anger that God had. And I thought 3,000 was so cruel. How can you call the Levites to... Folks, this is intercession. It's 3,000 or 3 million. There's about 3 million Israelites at that time. They were out of control. Running out of... And see, if Moses did it, 3,000 die. If God does it, they're all gone. Moses can pinpoint, but that was the requirement. I mean... The loneliness of a leader at that point. I mean, there's nobody with you. I'm sorry, you can't have the luxury of all these self-doubts. I mean, he's... And he, Moses goes from pleading with God, don't destroy him, to calling up the Levites and say, don't withhold your hand, kill him, shed blood. This is too urgent a matter. Do you realize that every single person is going to be wiped off the face of the earth if you don't do your duty at this hour? Go forth. And the Levites were the only one who responds. And it has to do with the Levites being the outcast and actually being underneath a curse. But that's a different story. But the Levites are the whosoevers. That's who the intercessors are. The whosoevers. Those you call up who respond to the call of the Lord. And he says, go out and do not withhold your hand from your own brother and your own father and neighbor. Your brother and friend and neighbor. And then, that's what it takes. After 3,000, it wakes them out of this demonic stupor. The next day, you know, and you can see, it, it, that calms them down. The next day, Moses said to the people, see, now we can dialogue with them. Now, you have committed a great sin. See, if Moses didn't represent, there was no one to represent God. See, if God came down, his presence would just destroy the sin. He could, Moses was his representative who could pinpoint it. Moses could, rep, could, could root out the evil and separate the demonic from the mass of the people. See, this is a foreshadow of what we do. You have committed a great sin, but now I will go to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. See, Moses realizes that what he did before was good, but he did it out of naivete. 
And he did the right thing. But now, so Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. See, just pleads guilty. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sins. See, his only argument is grace. You know, it's like, okay, guilty plea. You know, I can't argue with you. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to this place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. Can't you just see in God's response of, Moses, how could I ever do that? And, you know, it says God satisfied his anger on the cross. This is what happened here. And Moses says, I totally identify with these people. I'm married to them. And, God, I don't have any arguments, but I'm asking you by your grace to forgive them. But he did it with full revelation of knowing the consequences. But he says, God, if it has to be, it has to be, and I'm on their side. I mean, to think of, I mean, Moses is my hero. I mean, to think so many years before Christ, no scripture, no, just this revelation, this brokenness. And then he's speaking this back to God, and God See, God was inviting Moses into his counsel. And it was all about God's purposes and needing a friend. And he had not... See, God... This is where God wanted Moses. He's saying, Moses, you really, you understand my heart now. And now there's an intercessor. And, you know, sin still needs to be judged. But it wasn't... What I felt, what I said, is intercessors... I believe this prophetic thing that the Lord is showing about the judgment, and I tell you, I have no way of backing this up, but right at the time, this was when we had just passed in our state a, um, a law in our legislature to um, well, basically condone gay marriage. And it was at the desk of Schwarzenegger. And we were praying, and it was the whole thing, you know, I mean, I said, we have got to rise to a new level. We can't point the fingers. We can't complain about the body of Christ. Yes, we've been asleep. Yes, the church is, is complacent. But that's all past because you are the leaders in the body of Christ now. And we are. what are we going to do right this moment? And you could feel the spiritual struggle. And we prayed together. And I know many were praying. And we prayed and we took authority and we bound it. And we, you know, we did all that. And we said, this is not going to pass. And at that time, Arnold Schwarzenegger did the right thing. And I, I felt... That could have gone either way. That's how close I feel we were to a judgment. And what I'm saying, it's not about trying to figure out and discern the, 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 the minutia of the prophetic word. It's that God is inviting us to a whole nother level of leadership. It has to do with leadership and with intercession. Are we going to stand in the gap? And folks, he's showing us what he's going to do because that's another resource in our repertoire. Folks, Argentina is experiencing a revival because of the, and a nation transformation because at the perfect time, God's perfect timing, the nation collapsed and they went through a horrible thing. A horrible, hor folks, it was not easy. But it, 
And when we looked at it, we're like, this is disaster. This is destroying everything we looked for. And it was not easy, but we crossed through, and it was part of that. And that's when the Lord said, raise a canopy of prayer. And the whole turnaround came, and now the church saw the opportunity. Folks, disaster does not bring res uh, uh, res uh, revival. It brings an opportunity. It's the, it, it's the saints of Christ, and it's faith that brings transformation. We've got to wake up to who we are. And so... And we've got to be willing to confront evil. And I, I, I don't know about here, but I tell you, and this latest election, I mean, is so grievous. To, I mean, it, it, when you start to care, it hurts, you know. It didn't hurt so much before, but when you start to care, it hurts. And this last election in California, whatever you believe on the political things, you know, we did not vote, we did not pass... Um, Proposition 73, in other words, we said it's all right for teenage girls under the age of 18 to go off on their lunch break and have an abortion and don't tell anybody. Are we really that bad? Are we really so afraid of, you know, of, uh, of opening a door for the woman's right of abortion to, to be overturned that we will not protect our own minor girls? I mean... I, did, I, I was shocked when I woke up. I did not think that would pass. And I tell you, I heard it on the radio, you know, Los Angeles and San Francisco, there was a great big turnout, but, you know, I'm not trying to make a political thing here, but the Republican sections, there wasn't that big of a turnout. It is a slumbering spirit. We're asleep, and you know what we're guilty of? The church at Thyatira, was, you know, the one that had this Jezebel woman, you know, who was, uh, you know, all the symptoms, you know, witchcraft, immorality, and, uh, you know, a curse that comes over the children, her children are dead, you know, we're seeing that, you know, Thyatira, that whole thing, God has something against them, you know what it is? It's not that you're sexual immorality, it's not that you're totally into the new age, it's not that you're involved in witchcraft, it's that you tolerated that spirit of Jezebel. Right. Who was it that said, for evil to prevail it's sufficient that the righteous do nothing? Edwin Burke. Edwin Burke. Didn't Roosevelt quote that as well? For, right, for evil to prevail, it's sufficient that the righteous do nothing. And I tell you, that's what, I mean... There's this slumbering spirit, and we're slumbering, and we've got to wake up. See, that's what it's talking about, Isaiah 63. He looked inside of him, and he was angry. But there was no one around. He couldn't depend. He couldn't pass the ball. He couldn't refer. They left him all alone. Everyone was abandoned. He looked at the cross, and it's like, where's my team? And I, folks... That's part of discipling a nation. You're going to get to that point and you're all alone. Where's my core group? Where's my wife? Where's my team? Where's, where are they? Don't they have the vision? Aren't they passionate? No. And in that moment, that is where, that, that is, you've got to look inside of you. And he says he found his anger. His, he was so appalled. He said, I'm going to do it myself. And if I perish, I perish, but I am going to destroy it. That is intercession. And when we lay hold of that, I tell you, transformation has come to this nation already. There's nothing that can stop us. Folks, that young, that woman 
who had no sphere of influence in the natural, but had to get to Maui to lay tears in the ground there because God told her, I tell you, she carried more spiritual authority than any pastor of a mega... You can't see things in the natural. And you've got to know who you are. And when we believe like that, we will see the Red Sea open. The word of the Lord, the word of the Lord, the Lord told me I have to do it. It doesn't matter. I have to do it. I have to do it. I have to do it. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's when the, the, this, this strength that's going to be released. Mm -hmm. Folks, I, you know, people, I, all, the, all, the, <laughs> all my mothers <laughs> keep saying, man, I want to see the men in the intercession. And I'm like, you know, I, I want to see more women. You know, I, I like hanging out with you. I want to see more of you. You know, it's like great. Yeah, let's bring them in as well. I mean, this authority. There's no natural sphere of influence. That's not the issue. It's understanding these spiritual dynamics, and that's what I challenged. And and I said specifically in this word, folks, we have been tolerating evil, and we have got for a season to come in the opposite spirit. I told one friend I basically shared this with him, and I said, you've got to go on a fast. And he was, he was complaining about some situation that I won't go into the details. I said, no, those fasts won't work. Go on a fast for 40 days and stop complaining. And every time you're tempted to complain, you treat that as you would treat sexual immorality or Internet pornography. You do not tolerate it. You cut your eye out. Stop complaining. It's not what they do. It's what you do. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I mean, that was specifically for, you know, I mean, if the Holy Spirit makes you feel guilty, that's another issue. <laughs> and I challenged all. I said, I said, folks, have we been tolerating sin? Are we afraid to raise our sword against it? Are we walking in the fear of man? Are there, first of all, are there issues in your life that you have not confronted, that you're afraid to confront because you know how it is. You know, I mean, just read that none should perish, a stronghold is a mindset so impregnated with hopelessness that causes us to accept as unchangeable situations that we know are contrary to the will of God. The other one, what issues, what's the person? What are you afraid of confronting? And I told the intercessors in San Francisco, this is what I saw in the spirit. They're asking me what I saw. Okay, this is what I saw. I believe that you're going to go out and you're going to be over areas and you're going to be praying and prophesying in the Spirit. And I believe that the level of authority that the Lord is releasing upon this intercessory group is literally going to say, this place is covered and this place is not covered. And that when God's judgment comes, it will be that fine-tuned. Are you willing to walk in that level of authority? And folks, yeah, it's enticing when you're a young little buck, but when you understand what it really is, it's a very, very frightening thing. That's the responsibility. And that's what it's talking about, Isaiah 63. He was all bloody. He was trampling them. The wine press, that's some place you go alone. And when we lay hold of that, folks, I am so encouraged because I know that there are 7,000 intercessors out there. 7,000 who have not bowed their knee, who are grieved by iniquity, who are righteous people, who want to see things change. But we're waiting, and it's time to stop waiting. You've got to wake up and know who you are and stop complaining, stop passing the buck, stop thinking it's, it's, a, it's a victim spirit that we have got to cast off and say, no, the buck stops here. 
Uh, it's not enough for me to identify the problem. I have to be part of the solution. I have to be positive. I have to be compelled by a vision. And where does that anger come? It becomes because you see transformation. You see the new Elk River. You see the new America. You know what this nation was meant to be. You know the prof you can see the healing that, that can come. Yes. And you taste it. And you're so appalled at the gap between where we are right now and where we can go. Hallelujah. I think I'm done. Can we stand up? Raise our hands up. Let's just begin to pray. Cry out to the Lord. 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 Cry out. Father, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I'm going to pray now and I want you to agree. I want you to keep praying and seeking the Lord and I'm going to pray and my voice is going to be the voice of us corporately in agreement. We're hungry for this new release and I'm going to pray that the Lord releases this. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Father, we see the signs of the times, Lord God. Father, you have given us eyes, Lord. Lord, we're not here just because. We're not new at this thing. Father, we have won some stripes. We've been in battle before. Lord, we've faced lion and bears. Lord, we know how to kill them, Lord God. Father, we've won victory. We're not new at this, Lord. But we come before you right now, Father God. Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord. Lord, we see something new. We see the signs of the times, Lord. We know that we're leaving in the day of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Father, we know if we respond and we align ourselves with you, Lord, we will see a visitation like never before. But, Father, woe unto us if we miss it, Lord God. Father, we can't point the finger to those that aren't here. Father, we can't point the finger at the church, Lord God. We are the church. We are those you're crying to, you're raising up. We are the Levites. We are the ones who've responded. Lord, and we receive this commission. Father, release this new level of authority, Father. Lord, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, and we can connect with you, Father God. Oh, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we respond. And Lord, right now I take authority over all power of the evil one, Lord God. Father, that which is hidden in darkness, I rebuke now in Jesus' name. I speak light over every individual life and over every situation, Father. Lord, and where we've been afraid to confront and to uh, face, Lord, because of the fear of man, we repent of that right now, Lord God. Father, we choose our, to find our strength in you, Lord God. Father, and to step out, Lord. We are going to raise a canopy of prayer over this nation, Lord God. We are vouching for this nation. Now, Lord, we call forth the movement of intercessors, Lord God. Lord, you are appalled because you found no one to intercede and stand in the gap. But we say now you are finding us, Lord God. Father, we are standing in the gap, Lord God. There is a remnant, Lord God. Father, and it's us who get to write the destiny of this nation, Lord. It is us, Lord God. Lord, it's not the devil, Lord. We are vouching for this land. Now, Lord God, rise up. Lord, release a new level of authority upon intercessors. Lord, set them free, Lord God, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.
doesn't seem appropriate, but we are humans and we do have natural things. So we're going to take a 10 minute, uh, <laughs> 10 minute bathroom break and come back and we have some other sharings. So let's go ahead and uh, 10 minutes.